Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tent Talks. I'm here today with my dear friend, Ashley Thalman. Ashley, welcome. Hi. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. Today, we're going to be exploring the topic of spiritual journey, spiritual awakening, and I think kind of what it's like to awaken or realize that you're doing that. And what prompted that conversation was we were just realizing that you kind of recognize those experiences in hindsight of like, oh, I feel so much more free in this area. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't realize that until suddenly you are freer in mm-hmm. in certain areas of your life. And I guess I just wanted to start with that. Like, what yeah. what is that freedom? How did you start? realizing that you were more free in areas of your life than you were before. Yeah. Well, we kind of acknowledge leading up to this several topics that come up for both of us. And so I think right now, the lens that I'm learning about all this through is the lens of creativity, like the idea mm. of creativity and and not like art, not related necessarily to some kind of a product that we're making or some quote unquote offering, so to speak, but just the idea that through our attention, we're creating. And so I think where it comes to this idea of spiritual awakening, I would say some synonyms for that, which I think I are that. useful would be like awareness mm-hmm. or attention towards or learning. For me, embodiment. Yeah. Okay, say say more about that. What is that? Well, I think I've spent most of my life in a dissociative sure, state. Yeah. Where if something uncomfortable or traumatic happened, I would just kind of disappear mm-hmm. until it felt safe again. Mm-hmm. And because that's connected to your autonomic nervous system, mm-hmm. you don't realize you're doing it until one day you realize you're doing it. Yeah, that you've been doing it as uh-huh. like a habit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Have you ever traced back where you started doing that? Yes, I have. Yeah. And it was like childhood traumas, seeing like violent situations Mm -hmm. that I couldn't do anything about Mm -hmm. or experiencing trauma and abuse to my body and just going away. Yeah. So I feel like with that, there's like this useful mechanism where for me, I can, you know, see in my life that then it becomes a pattern. Mm-hmm. And I think that on one hand, it is this really beautiful tool and mechanism of safety. But then when does the body and the mind recognize safety if it's constantly turning its focus and energy toward I'm not safe or yeah. I'm not okay? And then we start to invent those kinds of situations or even seek them out because that's like the state that we're used to. And so- yeah we keep finding it and inventing it in some senses and we start seeking it out. So at what point do you start recognizing? And then I feel like once you recognize safety, then you can start creating more circumstances which support safety and like you say, embodiment. Yeah, I think how it works for me is I'll start myself before I start a traumatic response, I'll just say, whoa, I'm triggered. Mm -hmm. And then I'll begin breathing. And then I'll say, what has got me in this state of like, wanting to run away or Mm -hmm. escape or, you know, dissociate, not pay attention, just zone out what has got me there. Yeah. 
And so I can have that conversation before my body fully takes over Mm -hmm. and goes into one of those altered states. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I kind of experience it as both where, you know, talking to that trigger and understanding where it comes from is really useful and allowing that trigger to totally come out. So I guess what I mean is like, you start feeling it come out. And like, I mean, I, I experience it really somatically, like in my body, I can feel yeah, shakiness or tension or whatever. And everyone's going to be a little bit differently. But then as you start having a relationship with what the trigger feels like in the body, that's one way. Another way is in my mind, the thoughts that come up or the thoughts that don't come up. And then you start, like you say, creating these associations. And I think on one hand, we can make space to say, I'm just fine. But it's all through this lens of awareness, awakening to it. Mm -hmm. And what I mean, I want to kind of clarify the idea of going all the way into it, because sometimes it's not appropriate in the place or we don't feel like we're safe to allow that that trigger or that embodiment of that fear or that, you know, whatever the emotion that's coming through is. And I think sometimes for me, it's been useful to see that emotion come through. And everyone's going to experience this differently, but it's like, how can I plan or like, am I safe in this moment for this feeling to come completely through, to cry, to scream, to sob, to talk, whatever it is, to like put myself in a little ball, right? Does that- Yeah, how I relate to it is- I have found that my own inner world, I have more of a relationship with myself. And so I'm okay to create space for that relationship Mm -hmm. where before everyone's needs were more important than mine. Yeah. But now if I notice something happening, I'm okay to excuse myself or to pretend like I need to go to the bathroom or to just exit from a situation to give myself some privacy or some one-on-one time with myself, where before I just told myself no, Mm -hmm. and then paid attention to everybody else. Or I made up a story that people would know or Mm -hmm. make assumptions about me Mm -hmm. if I exited out, when really no one cares if somebody like steps out for a minute and goes to the bathroom. But when you're in an emotional state with yourself and you're trying to navigate if you can step out, you feel like it might be impossible for you to step out. And so you make excuses or reasons or paranoias or Mm -hmm. assumptions about why you can't. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, Stepping, stepping away is a great tool for being aware, self-aware and self-loving, like giving yourself time to experience that feeling or to bring yourself back off the ledge and remind yourself that you're safe. So yeah, I think like that resonates with me for sure. And when you're having a one-on-one conversation with somebody else, that even raises the stakes higher, right? Because, Because then if you do have a trigger, there's only one person. So then your needs would be very hyper aware. Mm -hmm. And so in a situation like that, if it's somebody that you trust, you can say, oh, hang on a second, let's go back to this topic or, or can we circle back around because something came up for me and I'm not quite sure what it is. Mm -hmm. So the more safety and intimacy you create in relationships when you're willing 
to stand up for yourself or to take that minute and re-examine something that came up for you with somebody else. Because then you get a witness and you get mm-hmm. you get a friend that can help you figure out why you're feeling what you're feeling or why a trigger has come up. Yeah. Or they can just normalize it and say, oh, I've been there. And then you don't feel this kind of heaviness of your own aloneness. Because yeah. I think inherently, I mean, it seems over and over for me that the individuated state of being in this incarnation, like living this life as Ashley or as Stacy or whoever, can have a real illusion of loneliness. And I think that's by design. Like, I think that's an important part of the game. But remembering that we're all one, for me, I experience that the very most profound when I'm very, very explicit, like you said. So if you and I are sitting here and one of us is feeling something to just say how it is, has taken me a lot of practice, but I think has been part of that awakening or that illuminative growth towards something. And sometimes I ask like, towards what? Because I think the, the idea of being awake or being aware isn't over there. It's in this moment. It's mm. in the very nowness of us acknowledging one another and sitting across from each other. I mean, there's part of me that might be thinking, who's going to hear this? Are we making sense? So there is this awareness of other, you know, that I think isn't exclusive to a podcast or isn't exclusive to sharing. It's like there are other thoughts out there. There are other ways of interpreting what we're saying that could create judgments or could create an opposite thing to what my intention is. And like, that's a thing. That's like a thing to be aware of and continue pushing through. And it's hard to push through if there's not an other. You know, if there's someone Mm. who's showing you love, and if we've historically had experiences where we haven't felt loved, or we haven't allowed ourselves to feel loved, or we haven't been explicit with other to feel that love, then back to what we were talking about a minute ago, we can continue to create these experiences that we then tell ourselves, I am not safe. I can't be intimate. I can't be open with this little precious thing of my own fear. But as we push through that, I think our consciousness around, wow, I'm just like everybody else. And everyone else is just like me. If I share intimately and explicitly with you and you don't share back with me, that doesn't mean I was wrong. It just means maybe we're not a good match. But if I do take that chance and then you're open with me, then we have a connection. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that kind of seeing is really generative. And I think it builds worlds inside of us where we do feel safe. And that creates a spectrum from I'm not safe as a child, I'm dissociated to, wow, but what about that time when I asked you a very specific thing that felt really weird, you know, for you to listen to a particular story or to hug me in a particular way or to repeat back to me what I said because it's just so cringy. I need to hear it come out of someone else's mouth. Whatever the weird thing is that we practice in a friendship or a partnership or sometimes even with a full-on stranger, then now we feel back into the grid of this continuous aspect of being where we're okay. Mm -hmm. And then if opposite works as well, where sometimes we just aren't understood by a particular person. Sometimes the very people we've been looking to or the very systems we've been looking to to validate us, when we recognize they can't, 
that's defining just as much as the moments where we feel deeply connected and loved. And like seeing that that's a spectrum that we are constantly experiencing in our own, you know, awakening. It's like that word is so charged, you know, with so many interpretations and projections, but just increased consciousness about what we're doing and awakening is a continuum. It's not this, you know, we were talking on the way down here about this experience of someone asking me, do you think you've ever had a spiritual awakening? It's like, well, I mean, which one? It's like, this this is a continuum of experiences Mm -hmm. that I experience it kind of like a coin, where on one hand, there's the head and on the other hand, there's a tail. And if we were going to flip a coin right now and make a decision based on where that landed, to invoke one is to invoke the opposite. And so everything kind of exists on this continuum. I kind of relate it to Sliding Doors, that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, yeah. It's like the premise of the whole movie is basically there's two realities going Mm on. One is she made the train and it took her to her destination. The other is she missed the train Mm -hmm. and she had to wait for the next one. And her whole life trajectory is different in each reality where she makes the train and and takes the other train Mm -hmm. or or misses that train and then takes the next one. Mm -hmm. And I think about that all the time. Like, is there this thing of destiny or alternate universe or parallel universe? Mm -hmm. And that brings you again into the present moment of the importance of making decisions Like, is this aligned with what I want and value? Mm -hmm. Because every time you reject yourself or do like a self-betrayal and choose the thing that doesn't feel aligned, it creates a ripple. Mm -hmm. And you show up in your environment out of alignment and then people treat you in that way because you've shown them who you are. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I had an experience that was probably one of the more profound like awakening moments and it was attended with a ton of pain like immense pain and I mean usually it is right but about this alignment thing when I went into EMDR to get support with this specific happening that was highly traumatic if I told the story you know, jaws like drop that this thing happened. And I was looking to tell the therapist explicitly what happened and just kind of get it out. And I barely was able to get that story out, not because I couldn't say it, but because her focus was so much on what happened leading up to it. Like, and how did that feel in your body? And when that phone call came, what decisions did you make? And why did you make that decision? And and I kept thinking, yeah, 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 but like, let's get to the meat of like the thing that was so horrible that happened. It was like, nope. What were you feeling like leading up to that? Mm, the befores. Yeah. The, yeah. What was the thing that brought you out of alignment that then moved you into the state of like... Complete trauma. Trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when there's an other that's involved, we can so easily like project... You know, it's because my husband won't and it's because my whatever. And so then we're so focused on the victimization of the moment or how, you know, we even make ourselves the persecutor where it's like, well, I shouldn't have. We make ourselves the bad person. But I love that my therapist was like, 
what about what happened leading up to that? How are you feeling? And what I identified is that when I'm acting out of alignment with myself, I feel like I'm being driven by a motor inside of me. And I've always talked about that in terms of momentum. Like it's much easier for a thing in motion, just in physics, right, to continue motion. But what's so interesting about the cosmic kind of multidimensionality aspect of awakening or consciousness is that when we have these moments of deep consciousness, we can change the trajectory really quickly. Like a thing in motion can immediately stop. And that works against like everything that we understand about a thing in motion. When we have a lot of inertia towards for my experience was saving, rescuing, helping, right? This little test comes in. Hey, will you save and rescue me? Hell yeah, I will. I have a ton of momentum. I know how to do that. I have a whole identity built in helping and rescuing. But what I was able to absolutely raise my consciousness around is how that felt in my body when that momentum, when the inciting action in the story was triggered And I started moving in this momentum way. And what I realized is I'm not present when that happens. I'm operating from you should help because it's, you know, you've had this relationship with this person for X amount of years and poor them. And then all these narratives come in about right, wrong, good people do this, good people help, good people. And you have the time and you have the money. And all of that is in service to helping these people and you have to do it and they're less than you because they don't know the thing and you know the thing and so you need to help them and take that extra time. But behind all of that, there was a bit of a lot of other stuff that I, I was completely unaware of until I had this you know catastrophic event in my life where then I turned my consciousness to wow, it was like an engine that was driving me forward. I don't feel like I was even there. Like I wasn't even concerned about myself. Yeah. That's one thing I've realized in recovery of being a constant helper is I've needed to help myself. And I haven't then for so long. There's a lot of things that I need to pay attention to or I've needed to attend to with myself, but it felt so operational that motor that you're talking about is just to reach outward and help someone else. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you don't, that narrative, that guilt, those stories all come up. Well, why aren't you help? You know, all those things that you were saying. So when you resist that urge to automatically help, then you really hear all the belief systems oh, that yeah. you've held. And you kind of don't know what to do with yourself. You're suspended in that moment of changing course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like just the simplest example is my therapist guides me through this all the time. It's like going to a family party and not participating to rescue people. Yep. So not being the jokey storyteller, not engaging with people, pulling them into the conversation, noticing when people are in a bad mood and trying to get them out of it. Because I can step into a room know how everybody's feeling and know like my part in their story to bring them together as like this connector. That's easy for me to do. But to sit there and let everybody just emotionally handle their own well-being, that is torture. Oh, yeah. And that is my growth. Yep. That is my growth to let people 
manage themselves. Because if I always show up as the rescuer, then it handicaps them in the long run. And you, right? Again, me. Yeah, it's like this orientation toward it handicaps them, right? We're still outward oriented. Yeah, what? Yeah, totally. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, what is it doing for me? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, because then if you if you walk in the room and and play all these roles, then you're the good guy, and you walk away remembering in this hierarchical way that you are better than. But the thing is, there was no choice. There was no consciousness behind it, right? It was a decision that was made. For me, this decision was made when I was a child. I grew up in an incredibly abusive home. A lot of my family members knew about it, and they didn't, in my mind, as a you know 10-year-old or whatever, they weren't doing enough. And so who do I grow up to be? The person who does more than enough. And I'm sure, you know, if you took all the people I've ever known, a lot of people would say, yeah, you didn't do enough or you did too much or you didn't show up for me. But the thing that was driving me inside was like, you don't ever want to be the person you judged. You don't want to ever be the person who knew the thing was happening and didn't put that victim in the center of the world to rescue them. And it is so uncomfortable, like you said, to sit there and just do nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I joke about this idea of like practicing being the villain because it feels like that. If you go from rescuer all the time to villain or observer or the not doer, it does feel like you said, it feels torturous just to to really observe and watch how uh, you don't have to get involved is so, so hard. It's not easy at all. But eventually then you're getting back your sovereignty and you're getting back your you're like taking back your vote it's like okay when i show up i'm really gonna show up and with boundaries like here's how i can help you here's how i won't here's what feels good and then sometimes you're like okay i got that wrong let's go back into the cave and sit with ourselves for a minute and ask how do we want to show up in the world and then it kind of can become i feel i don't know if this resonates with you but then it can kind of feel like a bit of a game like it's fun and you can play with it yeah have you seen that tiktok guy he he's kind of um he's got a long beard and it's just his face and he shows up and he just says you can do what you want you know you can just go out mm-hmm. and do stuff mhm and it's so simple. And he just says that one line. Yeah. And I don't exactly know the verbiage that he's, but it's basically to that point. You can just do stuff, you know, mm-hmm. you don't need anyone's permission. You can just go out into the world and do stuff. Yeah. And the idea of like having somebody out there give permission is huge. But I think also the way that we judge right, wrong, good, mm-hmm. bad, kind, mean inside, that's like, That's the permission that has been so useful for me to raise my consciousness and awareness of how things all work together and that there really is no good or bad. Like, And feeling like I have to do this because this is the right thing to do is now for me a kind of a a little, I don't want to say red flag because I don't think it's negative, but just it's like a little bell Mm. in my mind of do you need to behave this way? Is this something that you're choosing to do? And choice feels to me creative. Yeah, I kind of have an example of that. Yeah. Bringing it back to body work, which is I usually, these are where all my examples come from. But it's interesting to see how clients show up to sessions. 
Some people show up and it's very transactional and I do a massage for them. Mm -hmm. Some people show up, they've got their altars, they've got stones that they're working with, they've got special products. Some people show up and they're like, I'm really loving this playlist or I want to try to do the session like this today. Some people, I have this beautiful woman and she... She's Navajo and she gives a prayer in Navajo every time it's an offering. Some people come and they just, they create and, and it's like they're co-creating their session. Some people sob during a session or some people just use it as like, they just need to talk out their experiences. Some people, it's just like very, very transactional. They come, I do this thing to them and they leave and then they come back again. And we start at that. It's like a, it's like a rat on a hamster wheel. And I realized that I was part of this codependency with clients mm. where I don't really want to work with people anymore that aren't showing up to add that creativity, to add that participation into a session because otherwise it just feels really weird. Like I'm just mm -hmm. doing this thing to them, mm -hmm. but I like when we're doing this thing together. Mm-hmm. And we can breathe and pause and feel different parts of the body together. And I can say, it feels like this. And they're like, oh, yeah, and it feels like this to me. Mm -hmm. But if it's just this weird, I don't know. One way. Yeah. If it's a one way, I'm not I'm not there for it. Mm -hmm. It takes too much effort on my end. I like how you gave so many examples of the different ways that people show up in that like spirit of participation, because there's not a right or a wrong way to do there anything. There is no morality. Right? Yeah. 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 And something I was thinking when I was driving down today, I was thinking about how when COVID came into the world and we became really aware of how we affect each other. And I think that while on one hand that's true, I think it was also used as a really divisive tool. And we see that playing out like everywhere, inside of us, outside of us. And I was so concerned. I think on my journey, I've been really concerned with that question of morality and like, am I doing it right? Am I hurting anybody? And not wanting to harm and not wanting to be misinterpreted caused for me this kind of deep paranoia where I would rather be right than meet my needs. I would rather like be the one who did COVID right, which is like so funny to think back of like what we thought things were. Like remember the time when no one would even go outside, like to go out and go on a walk. Like yeah. we were pretty educated at that point about like how you catch a cold and we've known for all our lives that like you can't really catch a cold from the air outside, but we all kind of put that aside because we were in this deep state of like, I don't want to do harm. I want to help here. I mean, mm -hmm. for a while, I feel like most of us were. Yeah. And so to me, that strong, strong emotion, that strong, just absolute paranoia about doing anything wrong gave me this kind of like superiority and it gave me this way to be in the world that felt really old in me of like not wanting to do anything bad. And so I would go above and beyond to show that part of it was performative. Another part of it was this kind of paranoia of like, I don't want to do anything wrong. And feeling that deep emotion over the course of that, really that initial year, it really served to transmute my ideas of morality. 
And I think it's been only in the last year where I've really come out and shared with people closest to me and I've gotten a stronger stomach for sharing it more publicly and more openly about how I don't really like believe in the idea of morality and I don't believe in like a consensus right wrong because I've seen how inhibiting that was to the flow of love and to the flow of learning and to the flow of like being wrong like you know the idea of someone dying can be so horrible but that's not the way I've experienced death or sickness or divorce or pain it's like it, it hasn't been all bad yes it's been intense and and you know that story i told earlier about this really deep trauma that has ended up being like this gem this beautiful wellspring of learning of self and love and enlightening my own experience to myself and so if i'm pushing away i i don't want any of the bad experiences quote unquote then i know like brenny brown says you can't selectively numb. Like we're here for a whole spectrum of experiences and to say, I don't want this bad thing because I don't want to be the one who did the bad thing to kill the person because I sneezed and I had COVID and I didn't know, I think really put a seed inside of us of thinking of ourselves as bad for mm -hmm. just being part of a human story where people live and people die and people affect each other. And that's always been true. But I think COVID was a really cool opportunity to go deep into how horrible that is and how beautiful it is both and how those kind of undulate and create this experience where we're learning and, and we're growing individually and as a collective in these fractal ways where some people have chosen the very divisive, moral, high ground, hierarchical path and that that gives shape and gives choice to my kind of no wrong, no right, kind of Taoist center, middle observer path and how we need both of those things and that we can interpret things in a myriad of ways. And being aware of that, to me, is a kind of awakening. Mm -hmm. And to speak to that, that doesn't mean that this morality neutral place isn't met with care and totally. compassion and boundaries and thoughtfulness. Mm -hmm. It just means that it doesn't make you good or bad if you do X, Y, and Z, that you kind of just in the moment say, this is the path that I want to choose. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take accountability for the ripples because I'm owning that choice. Because mm -hmm. it, it really puts you present in your choices because you don't take on this dichotomy of good or bad. You just take on this path of doing things by choice, not by influence of others. I found most of my interaction with morals is automatic. Oh, yeah. It was something that, that I accepted the program of long ago. And so to take that moment to pause and, and be morally neutral then you make choices in such a different way. Yeah, for sure. Because it's not automatic. There's a pause. You stop and you and you think about really what you want to do. Yeah, and I think it is oriented toward love. Like accepting that this is part of it, accepting that people express all along a spectrum of brilliant and beautiful and loving to horrible and destructive and that Love can be sent to all of that, but that we don't have to get involved. Like you said, I love the idea of this like family party 
and like the power of being able to perceive and to affect and the idea that we're good because we're affecting it, right? It's like, because I got involved and took the bait and did the thing, like I'm a good person and now I don't have to worry about being like them. You know, it's so othering. But like you said, when we have a choice in it, it's like, as within, so without, right? It's like, we can love the parts of us that are deeply unconscious to aspects that years from now, months from now, this game will wake us up to them. Because a lot of the time when we're in that process of waking up, that pain aspect and the self-hatred can really ratchet up. It's like, wow, like I thought my ex-husband was the villain, but I'm the villain to him. And you can really get, it's like a very visceral and you can turn that into a kind of self-hatred and regret and you can begin identifying with it instead of like you said, like this all can be true simultaneously. I can forgive those past parts of myself and I can forgive also this other person Mm -hmm. of their past self because I'm not holding them to this moral standpoint of right and wrong. It's like we were just doing the dance with each other Mm -hmm. and we both fucked it up. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we're both beyond that space and time of, of the past selves acting out, but maybe we're not. We're just all showing up, trying to do our best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think ending at love is a really good place to wrap up this episode. And we're going to see you for next week. Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.